You are listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. another archaeology and AL lecture. Tonight we've got Hannah Plumer talking to us about uncovering the ancient Maya through the work of the Maya Research Programme. Just before Hannah starts, I'm going to tell you a little bit about Hannah. Uh, so Hannah uh, went to university at Ohio University from 2007 to 2010 and concentrated on anthropology, focusing in archaeology and physical anthropology. Uh, following this, she did a master's in archaeology, specifically osteology, at Brandeis University from 2010 to 2011. And after this master's, she uh, went into commercial archaeology for two years in Texas. Um, after this also she did uh, she taught physical anthropology at Houston Community College before moving over to the UK where she started her PhD at Sheffield University. Uh, in between all this, she also worked at the Maya Research Programme as a student volunteer from 2009 to 2010, but then became an intern for them in 2011 to 2012. Uh, after this, she was made a full member of staff in 2013 and helped run excavations and taught in the osteology field school out there. everyone for coming out tonight. Um, so I'm going to start tonight with a brief background on the Maya. And I mean really brief, this is an entire culture um, represented in about 10 slides or so. So feel free to ask questions after. Um, then we're going to look at the origin and research domains of the Maya research program and how work from the MRP is contributing to Maya studies as a whole. Um, then I'm going to wrap up with just a couple of slides on conservation efforts in the area and what MRP is doing um, in that regards as well. Um, so just to get everyone oriented, the ancient Maya occupied Central America. Uh, Central America is, is comprised of Guatemala, Belize, northern Honduras and El Salvador, and the Yucatan Peninsula of Mexico. That's the geographic location. Mesoamerica, then, is the cultural location uh, in which the Maya, the Olmec, the Aztec, and Zapotec and others lived. So the Maya civilization really began with the formative, or the pre-classic period. Prior to this was the Archaic, which was defined by more hunter and gatherer communities. But with the pre-classic though, sedentary communities and cities develop, and we begin to see some of the features which are considered to be intrinsically Maya such as corbelled arches and similar architectural styles. This is also when some of the largest cities are constructed, such as El Mirador in Guatemala, which is, also has one of the largest pyramids, not only in the Maya area, but on the planet. The classic period then continues this trend of growing cities, and the temples shown here at Tikal and Palenque are built during this time. And then in the terminal and the post-classic periods, for reasons which will be discussed in a little bit, there's a decline in the population, as well as a decline in economic growth. Um, so today, the Maya are known for a number of things, probably most famously for their calendar system. But this is a really complex system of calendars um, that I could have an entire lecture on instead. Uh, so we won't really be getting into this tonight. Um, but again, feel free to ask questions afterwards. 
So the Maya also developed the concept of zero and a numerical system independently from anyone else. So it's what's called a bar and dot system, where one is represented by a dot, two by two dots, and so on until five, which is then a bar. Um, so for example, if you wanted to write out the number 11, you would have two bars with a dot on top. Um, the Maya also have a belief system and a creation story, which has lasted centuries, and some of which is still practiced today, particularly in the highlands of Guatemala. Uh, and those are just some of the characters um, that we see a lot of in the creation story there, the maze god and his two sons, the hero twins. Um, so when I say highlands and lowlands, uh, the highlands are comprised of the Sierra Madre Mountains, and these span through Honduras and up into Guatemala and Mexico, while the lowlands are literally lower lands. It's uh, comprised of a large limestone plateau that's relatively flat and close to sea level, and most of the archaeology done in the Maya region uh, is, is practiced in the lowlands. Uh, so there are countless cities throughout uh, countless Maya cities throughout Central America, uh, both in the highlands and the lowlands. And this map doesn't really uh, represent it very well, but um, it's actually much more urban than that. Um, and you can't even see the sites that we'll be discussing on these maps here. Um, so as I mentioned earlier, the Terminal Classic saw a decline in the growth, in growth and a realigning of uh, city-states. And this was due to a number of factors, all of which happened before the arrival of the Spanish in the 1500s. Um, and these included things like an increase in warfare and disease, as well as environmental reasons, um, just an overuse of resources. Um, however, it's important to remember that there are still thousands of Maya alive today. Um, but this all occurred between about 900 and 1100 AD. Um, I also briefly want to mention the difference between Maya versus Mayan. So Maya is a, the culture where Mayan is a language. So the Maya spoke many different Mayan languages, and this, they were all derived from a proto-Mayan language. And many Mayan languages are still spoken today. We even use some Maya words in English and also in Spanish. These are loan words that um, are spelled with English and Spanish spelling, but are pronounced um, more typically Maya. And these words include things like shark and cigar. Um, and that's just to show the, uh, the Proto-Mayan language and all of the current languages today. So in New World archaeology, uh, the Maya are still generally considered to be prehistoric, but this isn't due to a lack of written text, but a general lack of our understanding of it, although this is changing quickly. Um, so it took centuries to learn how to translate Maya glyphs, and this is um, all due to uh, the, the arrival of the Spanish with Diego de Landa in the 1500s. He was the Bishop of Yucatan, and he held an inquisition of the Maya. Uh, and during this time, he also held the Great Ceremony of uh, Destruction, in which he burned every Maya manuscript and idol available. Um, so because of this, we just don't have the resources to, we didn't have the resources to uh, learn how to translate glyphs. Um, but in the 1980s, there was a big breakthrough in epigraphy. Uh, um, so where does MRP fit into all of this then? Um, the Maya Research Program is based out of Blue Creek, Belize. It's in northern Belize in the Maya lowlands. Um, 
just south of Mexico and east of Guatemala. It's in the Three Rivers region of Belize, which you can't see the rivers on the map very well, but um, this would have made uh, trade in the area uh, very important for Blue Creek and the other sites that we'll be talking about. Blue Creek as a site was first discovered by the Irish physician Thomas Gaughan in the 1890s. Uh, he was worked out of the University of Liverpool, actually, and discovered many myocytes in this area. And when he retired in the early 1920s, he donated his private collection to the British Museum. So if you go to the British Museum today, you can actually see a lot of artifacts just right from this region. Um, after he discovered it and recorded that it was a site, uh, it was kind of let in fallow for a while. And then the El Pazito project in the 1970s uh, took up a survey project there and mapped the site. And then in 1992, Dr. Thomas Guderjean started the Maya Research Program there. Um, so the Maya Research Program then is a nonprofit organization based out of the U.S. It's a 501c3, and it's been running every summer consecutively since 1992. It's one of the longest-running programs in the Maya area, and the summer is our 24th season. Um, the summer is broken into four, four two-week sessions so that undergrads, master students, volunteers, and local workers can work for two weeks, four weeks, six weeks, or eight weeks, um, and then staff are there all summer long for 11. And um, for students, it's really beneficial because there's not only archaeologists working out of this base camp, there's also geographers, geologists, soil scientists, and a lot more. So even if a student is going there to volunteer for archaeology, they end up um, learning a lot more than just, you know, how to excavate. Um, so as I mentioned, the Maya Research Program was founded by <laughs> Dr. Thomas Guderjean, and the first few field seasons focused on excavation at the, the site core of Blue Creek, and it looked at political and temporal changes at the site um, just, at, just at Blue Creek. Today, though, um, we look at uh, not only the site core, but also neighboring sites, such as Nohona, Ishnaha, and Gray Fox. Um, and it's multifaceted research. So there's uh, landscape archaeology, ceramic and lithic analysis, and osteology, uh, settlement archaeology, paleobotanicals. Kind of it's everything thrown into one project, which makes it really exciting. <laughs> Um, here's just a list of some of our collaborators. So there's people working here from all over the world, um, particularly Australia, the UK, and the US, and Belize. Um, but our volunteers and our students come from all over. So the sites that I'm going to be talking about, I'm going to start kind of just talking about the, the sites that we're working on and then what information we're learning from them. So Blue, Blue Creek is down in the corner there. It's right along the Bravo Escarpment, the Rio Bravo Escarpment. And um, this is an escarpment that rises about 100 meters off of that limestone plateau, so it would have given Blue Creek in its heyday an incredible viewshed of the area. Um, and then we're going to move across the Dumbbell Bajo, which was used for agriculture, uh, over to Ishnaha and Noholna, and, and look at those sites. And then um, up to Great Fox, which this map is outdated and it's not on there, but it's right under where that North Arrow is. <laughs> Um, so Blue Creek is a medium-sized Maya site. Um, if you think of it kind of like the Sheffield of the Maya region, right, whereas Tikal and some of those other places would be more like London. Um, <laughs> 
the uh, it had a red, relatively low population estimate uh, for its size, but a lot of this had to do with um, the agricultural systems that were that were in and around Blue Creek. Um, and it was about roughly 100 square kilometers. Um, so that kind of turquoise blob there in the, in the center, that's where the excavations at MRP first started. Um, and then we've, we've moved out to some other parts of Blue Creek. They're kind of like different neighborhoods. So Kintan, for example, is um, like an elite and sub-elite residence. And Chumbalumna, same thing. Um, Chanka Hall and those, those purple areas are more farming communities, but they're all part of Blue Creek. Um, so here's just a map of the site core. It consists of two uh, separate plazas and nine courtyard groups. Um, we don't see a whole lot of glyphic writing in this area, um, but we do have, have things such as the, the face there. Um, I'm going to point this out. Um, which is the Ahau or the king of Blue Creek, supposedly. This is the ear spool there, and then his face, and then this is the title of Ahau. Um, the other, one of the other sites is Nohona. This was discovered, um, in 2005, when a road was cut through and a large lithic deposit was found. Um, and then in 2008, excavation shifted from working on the lithic deposit to looking more at monumental and household archaeology. Um, and we get a lot of information on household and settlement archaeology, and um, as well as osteology from this site. It's, the site preserves uh, osteological materials very well. Uh, so Ishnaha um, is one of the other sites, and it's um, it excavation started there in 2002 and 2004, and then kind of stalled for a little while, and we just started back there in 2012. Um, it's a rather large site, um, still not quite as large as the creek, but uh, there are this, this monumental architecture, sub-elite residences, elite residences, and um, also kind of more of those farming areas. Um, and then Gray Fox. Uh, Gray Fox has been mapped and surveyed, but we haven't actually started excavations there. It's a next step for MRP. Um, and there are other sites that MRP works on as well, but these are just the ones I'm highlighting tonight. So from these different sites, we're learning a lot about uh, settlement archaeology, private and public spaces, uh, courtyards and plazas, the way that they were set up, and the spatial arrangement of Maya cities, um, such as I mentioned before with the, the neighborhoods, kind of elite residences being closer to the central precinct, whereas um, farming communities are more kind of in the hinterlands. Um, and also our occupational phases. Um, so as you can see from the photo there, there is actually, I think you can see it from here, there's four different um, constructional phases to that building there. There's four different floor levels. Um, so we, we can get information about occupational uh, times. Um, this is something that ceramics helps, ceramic analysis helps a lot with as well. Um, this is actually a really exciting time for ceramic analysis in this area because of that lack of glyphic writing in this area. Um, that shirt there on the left is one of the only pieces 
of glyphic writing that we have, and it was only just found um, two or three years ago. Um, so it's a very exciting time for this, as well as looking at you know the ways that the ceramics were fired and um, cultural influences and, and so on. Um, and this, this is just, just to show the different uh, occupational times and things. This top ceramic there is a, a incensario, which dates to the terminal or the post-classic, um, and likely came down actually from Mexico in the Lankadon Maya. Um, right around this, the Spanish contact, the Lankadon Maya would come and put a load of offerings on top of temples, and that's a temple at Noholna there where that was found. Um, and then the picture on the bottom is Ishnaha. It's a plaza at Ishnaha, and um, that's a turkey incense burner dating to the pre-classic, which is one of only a handful found that early in the Maya area, and that was just found this past summer. Um, we're also looking at different agricultural systems and how the Maya used them uh, when these systems were created and what was planted, things like cacao and avocado and banana and maize, um, how they were made and when when they uh, went into fallow and were abandoned. Um, this is done through mostly through um, some of our collaborators, Dr. Tim Beach, um, and those are his students there. Um, these are just some photos of those ditch fields. So the, the ditch field system is the hash, hash marks on that map there. Um, and they're quite expansive um, and uh, still visible even today. Um, and they're, like I said, they're quite huge. Those, those white dots up in the corner, I don't know how well you can see that, but those are cows. So they're very large uh, fields. Um, I'm not really going to go that much into osteology since most of you guys know me and we can talk about this whenever. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, we are learning a lot with osteology, um, looking at different disease patterns and different disease rates. Um, also looking at burial culture and, and how these individuals were buried. As I mentioned, Noholna as well as the other sites, but there's, um, because of the pH levels in the soil and the way in which uh, these were buried, um, we're getting really good preservation for this area. Um, we're also able to look at cultural modifications like uh, filed and inlaid teeth and cranial modification as well. Um, we're also doing, uh, some of our collaborators are doing cave research, working to identify the use of caves in northern Belize. Um, it used to be thought that there weren't caves at all in this area, and then with more survey um, and just more expeditions, it's, been, it's turned out that there is actually quite a lot of caves in this region, including the one that's pictured here, which is called Alvin's Cave. It's one of the biggest ones in the area that we know of. Um, and I don't know how well this is coming up, but in the, this, sorry. Um, this here is this tripod, um, and this is, this is Bob Warden. Um, so that's a person. And then um, these, these dots here are actually ancient Maya footholds. And you can see the light goes all the way up here to the cave opening. So it's quite an extensive cave. Um, so as I mentioned at the beginning, um, 
Crew Creek and all of these sites are in the Three Rivers region, which would have made it an excellent location for Maya trade. Um, the Maya didn't have pack animals. There were no horses or llamas or anything like that. Um, there's also no evidence for the wheel. So really, they only had canoes and boats and, and walking um, and networking. So this made this area um, very good for different uh, trade networks. Um, so what did they trade exactly? They uh, traded in jade and obsidian shells, coral, um, as well as, like I mentioned, like ceramic and, and other um, tools. Um, finally, we're also looking at events leading to that quote-unquote collapse uh, in the Blue Creek region. So at Blue Creek, we see an increase in population at this time. Again, that's like around 900 to 1100 AD. Um, and high energy expanded to capture very small new lands, so a lot of effort is going in um, for not a whole lot of economic gain. Um, the public precinct and that Kintan, that elite residence area, they're the first to be kind of displaced. Um, and then Rosita and some outliers are briefly realigned with some other cities. And then later they too are also abandoned. Um, so, as I said, I'd want to get a little bit into some conservation efforts uh, that MRP is, is doing. Um, this is that tree line there, uh, that temple that I showed before at Nohona, that's right behind that tree line. This entire area was completely forested in 2010, and then in 2011, um, I came back and took that picture, and it's completely gone. Um, and then that one in the corner is the central precinct of Blue Creek, as well as Kintan, and they're the only ones that are still in the forest today. Um, so because Blue Creek is so close to the Mexican and Guatemalan borders, it's so far north that no one really pays attention to, no one in the government really pays attention to um, what's going on up there. And I don't know how well you can see this, but it, on the horizon line, there are three or four mounds. Those are Maya residences or Maya structures that have been bulldozed. Um, so this is harmful to not only the the biodiversity, but also the uh, archaeology. Um, and in terms of biodiversity, these are all photos, except for the one of the jaguar. These are all photos, <laughs> all photos that have been taken on site. Um, so there's a lot of uh, biodiversity in this area, uh, including jaguars, but uh, I did not take that photo. Um, <laughs> thank you, internet. <laughs> Um, so there's a whole lot of biodiversity in this area that it's all in jeopardy um, with everything that's going on there. Um, and in terms of archaeology, um, the deforestation and logging construction, um, there's also looting. Those are two looters temples, uh, uh, looters trenches uh, in a temple there. Um, and again, those are three other mountains that have been bulldozed. Um, so there are countless undiscovered and unexcavated Maya sites that are completely in jeopardy right now. Um, so how MRP is helping with this situation? We're raising money to purchase sites and land. Um, Gray Fox, the site that I mentioned that we haven't actually started excavating, we've bought most of that land. Um, there's a little bit left to try and save. Um, and we're also kind of at this point working to, to save the rest of Noholna. 
and also informing the public through various outreach programs. And this is for both adults and children. Um, every night uh, at base camp, there's a Twilight le Lecture Series where different scientists and archaeologists talk about um, what's going on in the area and what research they're doing, and these are completely open to the public. Um, so not only do the students and volunteers get to listen to these lectures, but so can the communities. Um, and it's not too late. This is the border between Mexico and Belize, and it's still very forested, but we need to act quickly. Um, so through long-term research programs, like the Maya Research Program, um, scientists and the greater public can learn a lot of information within a specific area and apply that information to the greater region as a whole. Um, and then uh, there's... If you want to learn more or join MRP on a dig or donate to protect the Belizean jungle or a specific site, you can visit our website at myresearchprogram.org where you can buy me a beer and we can talk about it. <laughs> All right, thank you to everyone here and Pia Neustrom, the University of Sheffield, and Dr. Guterjohn and everyone at the My Research Program. Thanks. of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com.